Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 19, 37 through 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. How's everybody doing today? Good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, class. <laughs> I want to welcome everybody here that's with us in the building, everybody that's tuning in at home. Uh, thank you, Katie, for reading scripture, Paige, uh, and David uh, for worship, and thank you, Josh, for leading worship, and today is Josh's birthday, so everybody give it up for Josh. Happy birthday, Josh. He didn't know I was putting him on the spot, but uh, that was actually a very important moment, so thank you all for participating because that's actually our sermon. You just preached it for me. <laughs> it is. So let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Let this be for your glory. And I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you, dear Heavenly Father, that which you have to say. Lord, word my mouth, Lord, let your Holy Spirit flow and you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of celebration, kind of like we just did a couple seconds ago. Um, it's one of my favorites and it's really been formative in my life, uh, but even outside of the spiritual sense, I just really love to celebrate. Uh, anyone that knows me knows I love a good turn up and I'm always down for the get down. Uh, this week was no exception. This week, um, and for those of you that know, my wife, my lovely wife, Rachel, that's her. <laughs> 
she recently stepped out in a huge leap of faith and started her own life coaching business. Mm. Yeah, 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 give it up for Rachel. Yeah. And y'all, Rachel has been crushing it. Like, crushing it, all right? Um, I'm just so, so proud of her. So this week, I was like, you know what? Mm. I was like, get dressed. We going out tonight, yeah. all right? And we're gonna celebrate all of your success and accomplishments. And she's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get, right? So 5.30, she's upstairs, she's getting dressed or whatever, we putting on clothes, I'm changing my clothes or whatever. And then we go out, it's a beautiful day. We're like marveling at the weather. We're eating great food, we're laughing, uh, we're telling stories, we're reminiscing, we're planning for the future. And we're just having a great time celebrating and high off the fact that things are just going extremely well. And we're celebrating the, uh, the, the, the greatness that is Rachel and her progress in her business. So the actions that we took that day were to culminate the internal sentiments of joy and to acknowledge the greatness of Rachel's success. And that's the essence of what celebration is. Responding to the sentiment of joy and gratitude in our heart with action and initiative. There's a variety of ways that people celebrate um, and respond to the joy and gratitude that they have in their heart. If you've been in school, whether elementary school or college, you've, after a number of years studying, you have a graduation ceremony. And at that ceremony, you wear a cap and gown, you adorn special attire, you walk through, walk across the stage in a graduation ritual, right? And it is a special, special moment. And it's even more special for you NYU folks that get to have Taylor Swift as the commencement speaker this year. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> or uh, perhaps your favorite people are in town, right? You haven't seen them in a really long time and you finally get to have that moment of reconnection and reunion with them, right? And you have them over for dinner and you're, you're there, you're eating great food, drinking great drinks, and you're just enjoying and celebrating the, the fact that y'all are together again. For some, watching their favorite artists come on stage or their favorite sports team win the game is an opportunity for them to give a standing ovation and cheer and celebrate and roar or even do a little happy dance. I could go on and on with examples, but there's no example that I can give you to quite compare to thinking about celebration as a spiritual discipline. Our celebrative party throwing and happy dancing transcends into a meaningful bridge that connects inspiration to adoration. The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook defines celebration as a way of engaging in actions that orient the spirit toward worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Celebration is a way of, one, engaging in actions, two, that orient the spirit toward three, worship, praise, and thanksgiving. When we acknowledge that there is something worth recognizing with high regard and esteem, we follow up with actions that agree with what our heart is saying. And we say, yes, this is amazing. And it's worth more attention, it's worth more accolade, and it's worth more admiration. As a spiritual discipline, celebration puts God at the center of our attention. He steals the show and takes center stage of our heart. Over 2,000 years ago, a great celebration broke out in Jerusalem as Jesus entered the city. It's the story we just 
read a few moments ago, and it's what we've now come to know as Palm Sunday in the Christian tradition. It's the first day of Holy Week, and uh, one characteristic of the day is that people um, in Jerusalem celebrated Jesus' entry with these grand gestures. But what was the celebration all about? They were celebrating that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to be the ultimate demonstration of power. What they thought was to overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire. But what Jesus was actually riding into Jerusalem to do was to overthrow the oppressive empire of darkness, characterized by sin, separation from God, and death. This epic overthrow would take place through his sacrificial death on the cross and his miraculous resurrection from the grave. Jesus rode into town by way of celebration, fully aware that before the end of that week, he would be dying a brutal, painful death for our very own sins. We already read the story from Luke's standpoint, thank you Katie, but I want us to take a look at Matthew's version of the story because it allows us to add in some other perspective as well. Luke captures the bulk of the story and uh, we're going to pick up at the point where he left off where, where, where Jesus is riding in on the donkey. Mar uh, sorry, Matthew, it says Mark, it should say Matthew, whoops. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on, and a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shout, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Wow, what a celebration fit for a noble king. Jesus didn't just enter, Jesus didn't, uh, only Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem as a king. It was fit for a king, but Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem as this king that's going to take political power and overthrow an empire. Jesus is riding in on a donkey as an act of royalty and humility. If Jesus was coming into town as a king, he would have likely ridden on a big war horse or a, a regal animal that demonstrates power and authority. But Jesus came in as a prince, the prince of peace, riding in on a donkey, as humble princes do. And the moment took place as a fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah, which talks about Israel's promised king coming into them on a donkey. So I could understand their confusion. Hello. But I think this moment highlights the heart of the people of Jerusalem. They were so ready and eager to receive political rescue through Israel's new king. But they weren't ready to receive the kingdom of God among them. Nevertheless, the celebration ensues and continues and Jesus is honored and acknowledged in a way that brings him glory. Let's take a closer look at the celebration from the lens of the spiritual discipline rather than just the historical uh, event. Again, the three components 
of celebration are engaging in actions that orient the spirit toward worship, praise, and thanksgiving. So what were these actions? What were the uh, wonderful things that they did? The people, as Luke said, spread their cloaks on the road. And they also would go up and they cut down branches. I have, actually, I stole one from Ananihu <laughs> earlier. She went in and she got an actual palm branch that sometimes churches give out uh, on Palm Sunday. And then what do they do with them? Sometimes they just leave them to drive in their car if you're like me. Or they pull little crosses into it. And sometimes they'll burn them the following year and use them for the ashes for Ash Wednesday. But that aside, uh, they took these branches, cut down branches from the palm tree. And they would lay them out on the ground. And the, the king would enter in. And they would also spread out their cloaks. And they would cast them down for the king to walk on. It was fit for a king. This wasn't new. It wasn't something that they made up, right? It was very customary at that time that when a city would be conquered, the king would enter and the citizens and the army would precede him. And as they entered, the crowds would demonstrate with these great grand Dios gestures. And then after the king would enter and all of the gestures would be uh, done and thrown and all that pizzazz, the king would then go to the temple that was in that city and offer sacrifices to the gods of that city so that the gods of the city would be on his side. But why palm? Like of all things, they couldn't, they couldn't throw rice, they couldn't throw confetti. Like why palm branches and why cloaks? Uh, the palm was a symbol of joy, victory, and triumph. And the cloak was a symbol of deference and welcome for a king. So they really were uh, intending to do things that were fitting for the person that they were ready to receive and celebrate and acknowledge. Actions are an important part of showing someone how you feel about them. Actions are critical. People often say actions speak louder than words. And in a situation where you're really trying to show someone how you feel, what you do in that moment will communicate a whole lot more sometimes than what you can say. For those of you that are still getting to know me, um, there's something that you should know. Um, I share this in confidence. I really love cheesecake. Yes. <laughs> like it's, it's to a level that I probably should not have that much of a love for cheesecake, but I do. I can crush a Junior's easily without much shame. Uh, and I'll never forget July 2019. It was my 29th birthday, and uh, I've been dating Rachel, who's my now wife, uh, for a few months. We hadn't made it official yet, um, but you know, we were still there, the butterflies are growing, and I'm like, okay. So Rachel's like, I'm gonna take you out for your birthday. So I'm like, all right, bet, let's go. So Rachel takes me to my favorite movie theater to see my favorite childhood movie, which is The Lion King. And uh, so we're in there, we're in this date, and I'm like, yo, this is awesome. And after the date, Rachel, she's like, here, I have a gift for you. I was like, there's more? She's like, yeah. So she gives me this gift, and attached to the gift is a card. And I open up the card, and y'all, out of this card falls a $100 gift card to the Cheesecake Factory. Yes. <laughs> Sold. I was ready to pop the question right there in the movie theater. You had me at cheesecake. I really, really, really appreciated that so much. And she took the time 
to write inside that card, which is a very fancy card, by the way, uh, a bunch of meaningful things that I cherish in my heart. And because I cherish them, I ain't going to share it because ain't none of y'all business. But I'm going to share just a little bit of what she said in that card. She said, I pray this next chapter is filled with all transformative things. Continued blessings, growth in your journey, joy that comes from the Lord, and lots of cheesecake. I'm so excited to celebrate you. I know, right? Oh. <laughs> Rachel's action of a thoughtful gift with my favorite food not only sealed the deal, but it was symbolic of how she truly felt. Her excitement and desire to celebrate me and the degree to which I'm known and cherished. It also showed that her feelings toward me weren't shallow, but they were turning into something deeper with greater meaning. Our actions, the things that uh, we do as acts of celebration are symbolic to God of how we feel, of how well we know, and how excited we are about him. These actions cause our spirit to orient or turn toward him in preparation for deeper acknowledgement and appreciation, which takes us to our second piece, which is the orientation of the spirit. So uh, let's look at scripture one more time. Luke 19 and 37, it says this. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. This is where we see that orientation of the spirit. This is where we see the turning point in the celebration, right? As Jesus is drawing near, there's something that oriented their spirit toward praise. Something happened internally between their palm and cloak laying and their uh, and Jesus drawing near and their shouts of joy and their words of affirmation. Something happened in the mix that couldn't quite be seen, but it was felt enough to cause the celebration to go to the next level. Jesus drawing close had meaning. There was an internal meaning-making process that made something click that caused their actions to escalate into shouts of praise. And for celebration to happen in our lives, something has to click. The moment that your awareness of God's love is so vivid for you is a potential click. It's the moment where the knowledge of your sin pales in comparison to the sacrifice of Christ. It'll click. It's the moment when you've been running from God only to realize that he's been chasing after you the entire time. It allows your soul to click. Celebration, is hap Celebration happens when it clicks. Who God is what he's done, and who we are in light of his love for us. So what about you? What are the gestures and what are the actions that can make it click for you? What gestures and initiatives facilitate your heart's turning toward praise, thanksgiving, and worship? Across the Lenten season, if you've been here with us, we've journeyed across a couple of disciplines that can lead us down the path of celebration, fasting, silence, solitude, contemplation, prayer, confession, worship. Yes, worship can lead to even deeper worship. Actions like this can certainly facilitate the celebration process, but it can also be things like serving others in your community that are in need. It could be 
sharing a meal with a friend or speaking to someone that exists at the margins that's often overlooked or donating to justice causes. The list goes on and on and on, but whichever you decide, allow yourself to be fully in the moment and allow the Spirit to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to take over your heart in such a way where you can connect with the goodness of God's love. And this will lead you to the next step in celebration, which is praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. In both Matthew and Luke's accounts, we see this eruption of praise and worship and thanksgiving that takes place. The word Hosanna means save now. And they shouted that as Jesus was riding in. And the, the root word talks about a deep, desperate cry for help, like a pleading uh, for someone that's crying out. So while they're shouting, they're, they're pleading out um, for this desperate cry of help from these people, for of these people that were suffering oppression. So this wasn't just a random celebration or happenstance. This was built up from years and years and generations of, 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 of hope. This was built up for generations of anticipation, built up from years and generations of oppression and miracles and actions and orientations of the spirit. All of the circumstances of life both good and bad, can build up to celebration of God's presence and goodness. Whether it's lamentation or love, there's room for celebration. Whether it's a cry of joy or cries for justice, there's room for celebration. Whether you wave your hands in praise or you wave your hands asking for rescue, there is an avenue in there for celebration. In all things, always, and sometimes in advance, Celebrate God's arrival to your heart and situation. But get it, it's not just going to be <laughs> easy. There's going to be some type of response, right? And sometimes people respond to your celebration with curiosity. And sometimes people will respond with contempt. You might have experienced this in life. Let's say you hit a big milestone or something really cool happens to you. Or it's your moment to shine, your moment to really uh, be celebrated and for people to show up and be happy for you. You will have those people in your corner that show up and they're like cheering you on and they're rooting you. They're pushing you. They have your back, right? But then sometimes it's also very uh, real that you sometimes have people that might show up but they're not actually happy. They, they're not actually there. They're not looking out for you. They're, they're uh, slandering you or they're uh, trying to sabotage you or whatever the case may be. They're not as happy and excited for the people. They're not excited for you like the people that are there in your corner standing up for you. Um, and the same is in the scriptures. On Matthew's account, we see that the celebration breeded a sense of curiosity. They're like, who is this? Who is this person? What is this person that... What is this person doing that's causing all of this celebration, all of this ruckus, all of this noise? And they responded, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But Luke allowed us to be able to see the other side of it. And you have the Pharisees that are shouting out and saying, Jesus, tell your people to be quiet. Tell your people to be still. Tell your people that they're making too much noise. They're causing too much of a stir. 
And the main contempt in their heart comes from knowing that after all of their slander, out of all of their trying to entrap Jesus and try to get him arrested and trying to get him killed, it did not stop people from celebrating. It did not stop people from acknowledging Jesus. It did not stop Jesus from proceeding with what it was that he knew that he came here to earth to fulfill. So our celebration, our worship, our exclamation and accolade to the Lord is a signal to the adversary that we have not been defeated by your schemes, we have not been conquered by sin, and we will not succumb to the world's pressure. We will still celebrate. Why? 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 Why will we still celebrate with all that it is that we have to carry on our shoulders? And the truth is, just kind of like the Lord said when he called those folks to go secure the donkey for him, the Lord has need of it. Our celebration is a testament to the coming of the Savior and the power of the resurrection. Our celebration is powerful and speaks to the fact that the goodness of the Lord shall be declared. It's so important and he is so in need of it, so much so that he said that the rocks will cry out if I tell these people to be quiet. Now, I've always heard this verse uh, in church growing up said, if you don't praise Jesus, the rocks will instead. Am I alone? Did anybody else hear that phrase once or twice? <laughs> it was always used almost like as a pressure phrase or a shame-inducing phrase to make you clap a little louder or, sh or sing a little more or what have you. Um, but it, it's, it's used in that manner. But Jesus is saying something way more profound here than just saying, like, no matter what, someone's going to praise me. It's bigger than that. Jesus is saying that even if these people can't praise me, I will still get the glory. All of creation is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Jesus returns, he's not just coming back to uh, create new bodies. He's coming back to create a new heaven and a new earth. All of creation will be restored unto God. So even if the inanimate objects that are resting on the soil, they will be a part of the creation story. Even us in our bodies, we will receive new ones. All of creation sings the praises of our God. So we would think that such a triumphal celebration like this would be free from any degree of sadness from the guest of honor, but this certainly wasn't the case for Jesus. With all of this cheer, with all of this celebration, we still see a sad, conflicted Savior. Somebody say, it's my party. I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> Even in this grand celebration, we see Jesus crying tears of sadness. Let's look at Luke 41. It says, as he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you where your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
If you only knew, those words are chilling. If you only knew on this day, what would bring you peace? If you only knew that I have come to save you, you would be joining in the celebration too. If you only knew how much I loved you and cared for you, you would have an eruption of praise that these other folks can have too. If you only knew, if you only knew. Sometimes we fail to see the goodness of Jesus in our lives and we miss out on the celebration. A lack of celebration in our lives might reveal a lack of awareness and appreciation for God's faithfulness, love, power, and presence. Or it might just make us more cognizant of the human reality of what it is that we're bearing and what we're dealing with and the weight of it all. But God, I'm so angry that if you only knew how much I could bring you peace. But God, everything in my life is going wrong if you only knew how much I could bring you peace. But, but God, it's so much easier just to follow rules and traditions and legalism and rituals and work my way into your love because then it's something that I'm in control of if you only knew how much I could bring you peace. But God, I'm trying to tell you, like, my sin, it's really bad. It's not, like, bad. It's, like, bad, bad. Like, it's, it's bad. I can't even talk about it. I'm so ashamed. So if you only knew how much my love, my power, my sacrifice could bring you peace. Jesus, the all-powerful, conquering one who come to give you peace, and he comes to do that from an unconditional love and with certain salvation. So what's raining on the parade? What's holding you back from fully acting out in a free flow of gratitude in the spirit? God wants you to recognize, acknowledge, and celebrate his arrival in your life. This is displayed all throughout scripture. He's always wanted celebration. He's always called for people to celebrate and acknowledge him. When he was born, even the stars in the sky acknowledged him and pointed to where he was. And folks followed to celebrate him in the manger. But then on the other hand, we see his anguish and we see his grief when people fail to celebrate him. We see Jesus weeping here in our scripture, but this is not the first time we see Jesus crying. The other time that we see Jesus in scripture crying is in the shortest scripture in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse. And Jesus wept when uh, his friend Lazarus died. And he was in the, in the tomb. He was already rotting and stinking. Um, they called out to Jesus, Jesus, come. So my brother might not die, but he died. Jesus took his time, took him four days to get, here, get there. And when he arrived, he started to cry. They, they criticized him. They're like, why did you take so long? If you would have just been here, maybe our brother would still be alive. Why did you take so long? Jesus wept. He didn't weep that day because his friend died and he was grieving. Jesus wept that day because he showed up after all of the miracles, after all of the teaching, after all of the power he had demonstrated, he shows up knowing that he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, but they don't see that. They don't recognize that. They don't acknowledge that. Instead, they blame him for his tardiness 
rather than acknowledging that the true power showed up and was among them. So he wept. And he's weeping here in Jerusalem, disappointed once again that Jesus, their Savior, the one that was appointed to deliver them, they had arrived. They've been waiting for him all along. He performed miracles before them. He taught them. He was ready to sacrifice his entire life in the most brutal way possible. And he looks upon the city and cries, you don't even acknowledge me. This is why celebration is important. It's you saying, Lord, I acknowledge you for who you truly are. I see you. I acknowledge your love and your power, and I'm grateful. I put my hope and trust in you. This is celebration. So what do we do with this? Knowing that God is looking for us to acknowledge him, bearing the potential public criticism for doing so, and seeing the pain in his eyes when we don't, what, what do we do? We engage in actions that orient our spirit toward worship, praise, and thanksgiving. This week is Holy Weekend. There's no better time in the entire calendar to um, celebrate the fact that Jesus came to die for us. And he was raised from the dead. On Friday, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ's uh, death, we acknowledge his death on the cross for our sins. And on Sunday, we acknowledge his resurrection from the dead. But over 2,000 years ago, on a Thursday, the night he was betrayed and given over to be killed the next day, Jesus instituted a celebration. It came in the form of a meal that we now know today as communion. He knew he was dying, but he wanted to leave his disciples with a means to remember and acknowledge his love and teaching and sacrifice. So they engaged in actions. He took bread, right? Bread from the table, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And he performed more actions. He took a cup, and the cup had wine in it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. These actions that Jesus did, these actions gave simple food items new meaning. And these actions turned their spirit toward remembrance and praise. And they left that meal singing hymns. We get to celebrate Jesus in the same way today through communion. We have an opportunity as often as we can to celebrate Jesus, and one of the ways is through this sacrament. We engage in this action. For those of us that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, this is our way to remember exactly what it is that he did for us. And even if you're not quite there in, in your walk and in your journey, you can still have a moment in this celebration that we're about to participate in too. This is a moment of reflection and contemplation, peace and stillness in where that journey has taken you along the way. What have been the bumps in the road in the celebration? What's potentially hindering you? What resistance do you have? All of it is part of an action that can lead us 
to a turning of the Spirit. So I want us to do this together. You can peel back the top layer of your cup and grab this bread. And Jesus took this action. He said that this is my body, which was broken for you. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. You know those, bo- those bulls and goats that you had to slaughter? This, this is that blood. This is a new covenant. This is a new sacrifice. This is a new way of doing things. This is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink and do it in remembrance of me. And they left that room singing hymns. Everybody loves to talk about the meal, but don't nobody talk about the hymns. They sang hymns at the end of that. They went into a time of rejoicing and triumph. So come on, can we go into a quick moment of rejoicing and triumph and just say shouts of praise to God? Won't you be vulnerable with me? God, you're awesome. God, yes, come on, y'all. You're awesome, Lord. You died for our sins. This is the week that we're thinking and celebrating that. Triumphant victorious, conquering death that's worthy of celebration and praise. Amen.